0: Hi, I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for mm and and welcome to the m M&M and Podcast. We hope you're well and staying safe during this difficult time. My guest today is Dan Trigop, former Director of Uber Health. On September 3rd, Dan wrote to colleagues that after a year and a half at Uber and over four years working at the intersection of rideshare and healthcare, he had decided to launch his own healthcare startup that has been funded and incubated by Redesign Health. Our mission will be to improve access to health care for our most underserved populations and especially during this most difficult time, he wrote. We'll find out more about why Dan left Uber, what his plans are, and get Dan's thoughts on the general state of the medical ride sharing in a moment. First, a few housekeeping items or some plugs or shameless promotions, whatever you prefer to call them. MM&M uh, has a number of events coming up. Uh, we have our 40 Under 40 coming up on September 29th. That will be followed closely uh, by Transform, our flagship conference, September 30th to October 1st, and our awards on October 8th. These are all, of course, virtual uh, conferences, uh, such as it is. Um, and you can find out more information by going online to mmm-online forward slash events. We look forward to seeing you uh, virtually at the at all of these uh, events um okay uh so now back to uh, the conversation with dan first of all how are you buddy mark doing well always i think last time
1: we reconnected i think correct me if i'm wrong i think it was at the hlth conference maybe we we, we did a session together uh but you know times have yep. certainly changed it's a it's a different world and uh yeah i don't think there's gonna be any trips uh, to, to attending conferences anytime soon but um, but yeah, you know, uh, working through this. Uh, very fortunate. Uh, everyone's healthy. Uh, the family's doing well, and and great to be uh, talking to you today.
0: Absolutely, yes. I, I remember fondly uh, the last time we met was indeed at the HLTH conference in Las Vegas. Uh, you joined me kindly in the podcasting booth uh, in person uh, then, uh, back in October. And uh, you know, God willing, we'll get back to that one day. Uh, for now, we're we're doing it virtually, and I, I appreciate yeah. your your time here. Absolutely, absolutely glad to make some time with you. And it, I'm glad to hear that you're taking care of what what's really important. Glad to hear everybody's well, um, and uh, that that indeed is uh, is what we're keeping our eye on. So, um, let's just get started here. Um, so, you you said in in your note to colleagues that it was it was difficult to leave Uber Health. You know, you, you launched uh, excuse me, Uber Health launched in 2018. You were there for a year and a half, two years, uh, and while there, you partnered with more than a thousand healthcare organizations to arrange rides. I believe. Uh, you know, wh- why leave now?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a very difficult decision, and I think um, you know Uber as an organization, uh, it's it's a transformational business. It's a you know, as I always like to think about, it, people at Uber would say, it's it's a once in a generation uh, organization. When you think about the scale, the reach. The amount of people we touched on a daily basis. I mean, Uber, you know, Uber does over 15 million rides a day. That means at a minimum, connecting 30 million people a day. And there's not many companies, if any, that can that can claim those types of numbers. Um, so it, it was a really difficult decision. What was really hard about it was was leaving uh, amazing people, amazing colleagues. I was very proud of the team. Uh, that that I helped build uh, in my time there, the amazing colleagues I brought on from from healthcare organizations, uh, and the impact we had in, in a short period of time that I was there. As um, you know, some people know, I, I I did work at Lyft for two and a half years and helped grow their healthcare division. And I was at Uber for about a year and a half. But in that year and a half, you know, we more than doubled the team. Uh, we significantly grew the business. Uh, if you listen to any earnings call that we had since the IPO. Dara would talk about Uber Health. It was in the press releases. Uh, You know, we grew 300% uh, in some quarters. And even during COVID, we grew uh, 100% year over year during that, you know, during this still very difficult time. So, you know, it it was very hard to leave that. Um, But I thought, you know, I said to myself, there's more that can be done. And I think when you're in an organization of that size, um, you know, the, the, there, there is some, uh, you know, s- some red tape and politics and internal, um, you know, uh, challenges at, when you're that big because there's so many stakeholders, so many people involved. And ultimately, I see myself as an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, and I wanted to get back to building and having uh, my own destiny uh, in my own hands um, and, and, and by by being my own boss and, and having more control in the day to day operations. That's what ultimately uh, drove me to leave and do my new venture.
0: Yeah, that, that certainly uh, sounds like you're staying true to your entrepreneurial roots. Uh, what are you most proud of uh, in, amongst your many accomplishments? There. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really proud about the people we
1: touched uh, and the impacts we had, especially for some of our most underserved populations. You know, the the conversation I always would, you know would tell people, and um, what 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 made me proud of our work at Uber is. You know, I think most people, even today, when they hear Uber, when they hear Lyft, they think, you know, what it's just a company that takes a millennial to a bar on a Friday night, or it, it's a company that delivers a burrito uh, uh, during lunch hour. And I think um, what I'm proud about is how we leverage this platform that that was built, you know, well before I joined, this amazing platform to touch some of our most underserved. Uh, and underprivileged populations. When we think about the Medicaid, Medicare population, we think about people who live in transportation deserts. What I was most proud about was the emails and the conversations I had with partners about how we've helped you know a 90-year-old Medicaid member who lives in the transportation desert get to the critical care they need or getting somebody to a behavioral health appointment. One of my most uh, favorite partnerships I ever worked on, it was actually when I was at Lyft, um, we partnered with the city of Detroit and we helped women get to prenatal care in Detroit and and, and why that was so important was there was a high infant mortality rate in Detroit and one of the contributing factors was lack of transportation to get women to prenatal care and um, you know when we launched that partnership and the impact there it was it was definitely profound and it wasn't like we were doing millions of rides for this but even just the few rides we did you um, yeah, you know, I think it really made an impact on people's lives, and I think um, you know that's what I'm most proud about is the people we touched. And you know, yes, it's a tech company, but it's it's just as much a people organization as it is a technology company.
0: Great, yeah, and um, you know, the infant mortality rate is, is something that I think a lot of cities across this country suffer from. It's it's one of the often overlooked healthcare disparities, uh, but you know, we're we're very behind on that, you know, even though we're a very wealthy country, um, aren't yeah. we? So, yeah, and, and,
1: and, and just that quick point, like something as simple as transportation, you know, it's not, you know, let's be clear, you know, getting somebody from point A, from a point A, point B is not rocket science. And it's not like some complex, like, you know, uh, we're not talking about like nanotechnology or complex computing here. We're simply to get, talking about getting somebody a ride to a medical appointment that can have such a big impact. And what's so cool about what we're doing at Uber was the scale we can do that on, right? You know Uber's in sixty countries, 10,000 cities. Uh, it's just amazing. And uh, when you think about it at that scale, it, it can be a profound impact.
0: Right, right. And you know as we talked about back in October, you know with with uh, social determinants of health, more integrated um, into the doctor's workflow, uh, social referrals are, are poised to increase. And, you know, one of those was ride-sharing. And, you know, you had told me at that time Uber Health had recently integrated with electronic health records from uh, Cerner, um, probably amongst others at this point, um, and that uh, ride-sharing was playing an increasingly bigger role in Medicare and Medicaid transportation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So um, uh, it really um, was one of those social determinants that was – we were really, you know, making progress, and being able to have an impact on that scale, as, as you pointed out, um, is for an entrepreneur, you know, is very attractive. So, all uh-huh. the more reason why I'm sure it was difficult a difficult decision.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. You 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 bring that point up. I, I've actually this isn't my first uh, time being an entrepreneur. I've i we we I started a company that was funded out of Rock Health a long time ago. And uh, the challenge was, was we didn't have the scale. And and one of the main reasons I went to Lyft and Uber was, how I like to think about it is, there's a lot of fuel to the fire there, right? If, you know, as we build this idea within a company of that size, you can instantly get access to millions of people. Um, Coming back to my entrepreneurial roots, uh, now we're trying to build that that network again and, and build that platform um and it certainly uh will we'll take some time but you know it's it's, it's a journey it's not going to happen overnight it just takes time uh and i'm confident in uh you know the business idea we have and what we're working on and, and uh, if we can execute i think we can get there but uh, as they say you know rome wasn't built in in a day it'll, it'll take it'll take some time but I'm, I'm really excited about that journey
0: yeah great great it's all about the journey um so, was, was there anything that you wish you could have accomplished, uh, but were not able to, uh, during your time at Uber Health?
1: You know, I think the way I'd answer that is, I think, um, I think there was so much more we, 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 or I could have done while I was while I was there. And I, and I think, uh, you know, the team will continue to do some amazing things. I think, uh, given all the partnerships we've done and 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 the growth of Uber Health, I still think it's at the tip of the iceberg. I think uh, one of the last things I worked on before I left was actually a uh, prescription delivery. Uh, so we, we announced prescription de- delivery leveraging the Uber courier, uh, network, uh, right before I left. And, and that was super exciting. I think th- that's still in its infancy. Um, I also think, uh, you know, with Uber eats, it's no secret, you know, helping, uh, uh, health plan members get access to quality meals and groceries. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So I still think, um, you know the job is definitely not not finished there with the Uber Health platform. I think uh, it'll continue to grow, uh, and I'm I'm really excited to watch from the sidelines and see that team uh, flourish. Um, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done there, and I think work beyond just moving people. I'd say is, is how I would answer that. There's there's still a lot a lot of opportunity there.
0: Sure, sure, okay, great. So, um, you know, that that's a good segue to the next question, which is, uh, you know, where you're heading. Um, in the email to colleagues, you described the new company as improving access to healthcare for our most vulnerable populations, which which seems like it's adjacent to you know what you were doing at Uber Health. But can you elaborate a little bit more for us?
1: Yeah, it's definitely adjacent. It's it's not in the transportation arena. So my new venture is is not uh, has nothing to do with non-emergency medical transportation. But in terms of a, on a conceptual level. It really is uh, similar in terms of being a a platform, a marketplace essentially connecting key stakeholders and providing better access to care. Uh, One thing just just, uh, to to note, been very fortunate and lucky to be connected to an organization out of New York called Redesign Health. And Redesign Health um, has given us the capital and the resources and the support to really be able to execute on this business idea. Uh, and Redesign is uh, uh, an amazing organization. They're essentially an innovation platform that funds and launches businesses that really transform the healthcare system. Uh, they're very focused on launching healthcare uh, organizations and startups. Uh, and their mission is really empower people to live their healthiest lives. Uh, and they've done this with a handful of companies already. Uh, so you know, if you go to RedesignHealth.com, you can see some of the companies that have been born from their platform. Uh, Companies that uh, that include a a, a company called Calibrate, uh, which is uh, doing some really interesting things um, in uh, metabolic metabolic reset. Uh, So some interesting things there. Uh, Vault Health uh, in the men's health uh, arena, but they've kind of pivoted recently to COVID testing. Uh, Another company called Lively, which is in the hearing aid space and really trying to provide a premium uh, hearing aid product. Uh, and then a few others, uh, Everbodies, in the cosmetic dermatology business. Uh, so, anyways, th- uh, Redesign has has given us this platform. Uh, my business, um, I've come on as a as a co-founder and CEO of, of a new venture that they that that's been born from this platform. Um, and our focus uh, at a high level, and we're still uh, in early stages, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, in in the in stealth mode. Uh, but what I can share is, is we believe there is an absolute transformation in how care will be delivered in this country. And it's already starting to happen, especially being accelerated with COVID. We think care is moving more into the home setting um, and away from the traditional four walls of a clinical setting. Obviously, telehealth is growing like, like wildfire right now. Uh, and that will continue to happen It'll probably slow down uh, uh, as we get through COVID. Um, but telehealth can only do so much. There's no physical touch. There's no, uh, you know, uh, as we like to say, uh, th- it loses some humanity because you're you're just seeing somebody virtually uh, on a screen. So what we believe is is that there's an opportunity to bring more care into the home. We also think there's an opportunity to reduce unnecessary uh, uh, hospital visits, unnecessary uh, emergency room uh, uh, visits. So we want to reduce ED utilization. Um, and especially in underserved communities, many, many of our uh, population that live uh, in, in underserved uh, uh, markets, they're literally calling 911 uh, for an ambulance ride or, or, or a ride to the emergency room or a ride to the hospital to see a doctor. Uh, and we believe many of those can be avoided. We think we can reduce uh, ED utilization um, uh, and by building a platform to provide better care into the home. So so at a high level, you know that that is what we're tackling, uh, and we've built an amazing team. I have an amazing co-founder uh, who, who's helping to lead operations. Uh, we have some amazing amazing engineers, and uh, I think you'll be hearing and seeing more in the months to come. But uh, really excited by, by by this new journey.
0: Sure, yeah, a lot of um, uh, aspects of care, um, not only you know care delivery literally, but. Um, you know, on the drug development side uh, is moving into the home setting, as as we know, uh, from, you know, uh, clinical trials um, uh, to, um, you know, just, you know, many aspects of of, of remote monitoring. Um, And uh, oftentimes it's it's, it's facilitated by humans, say, say by nurses. um, uh, But, um, you know, the the companies that are um, are well known that, that are leading that, you know, revolution in terms of, um, uh, nonlinear you know, clinical trial participation and uh, uh, you know, using mobile uh, to, um, you know, cr- facilitate sightless trials and that kind of thing. But um, so it, it seems like, um, you know, stars are aligning, as you, as you pointed out with with COVID, putting more emphasis uh, on remote care. you know, I think some of the telemedicine companies are saying that their visits are, uh, you know starting to taper a bit. You know, but it's it's um, you know nobody's saying we're going to go back to you know where we were you know like back in November 2019. You know, it's it's going to be really a, a changed healthcare landscape, uh, isn't it? So
1: yeah, and, and one thing just to, along those lines, to give you a little bit of sneak peek on, on what's driving and motivating us. I mean, I think we we're very mission driven with the organization that we're building um, with my new my new venture. Uh, our our mission statement, our mission statement that's driving the company right now is improving people's lives by bringing more humanity to healthcare. Uh, and it's funny, uh, I, I you know we, we're talking to a lot of the big payers and providers right now about, about our mission and the work we're doing. And I had a conversation with somebody yesterday at a very large uh, health plan, and uh, and they were saying, you know, my job is actually to reduce uh, humanity uh, in healthcare so I can reduce costs for for the health plan. And I, I got a I, I laugh out of that. Um, and uh, I think we're sometimes losing some of that uh, humanity in, in the work we do. Uh, and I think what we're trying to build is a, is a platform where we can bring more touch uh, into healthcare. It's not just about a, a virtual screen, but also do it uh, efficiently uh, from an economic standpoint and a scalability standpoint. So, so you know, that's, that's a little kind of peek under the hood, uh, but that's really what's driving us in this new venture.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice. It's nice. Yes, the technology facilitated by the human touch. It's, it's a nice combination. Okay, yeah, well, we certainly wish you uh, a ton of uh, success with this new venture. Um, and considering your, your great track record, uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing great things. Um, give us, you know, now that you're um, kind of moving into this adjacent area, give us a general state of the state in terms of uh, non-emergency medical transport.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting time. I mean, um, you know, no secret that uh, non-emergency medical transportation has taken quite a drop off uh, with, with 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 COVID and, and what we've been through the last several months. Um, I think, um, you know, a great proxy for it is actually you look at a company called Logisticare. It's, it's a publicly traded organization. So all their data is, is public and you can take a look at how they've done over the last uh, several months during this very difficult time. Um, you know, and, and, and all things considered, you know, Logisticare just posted one of their best quarters ever uh, for, as, as an organization. And I think there's a couple of factors playing into that. Uh, I think, um, you know, in general, non-emergency medical transportation, these contracts are based on capitated models with state Medicaid plans who, who contract with companies like Logisticare and others to provide transportation to their Medicaid population. You know, one interesting thing is, it, or what, what's happened with covid utilization has gone way down so people aren't able to shelter in place they're not able to go to the doctor not able to go to a behavioral health visit um even uh you know other types of critical care appointments have to be pushed off so utilization has dropped that's actually helped some of these companies these big uh non-emergency medical transportation brokers uh during covid that said the rebound has been very strong and um you know, I think uh, shelter in place has been lifted in many markets. I think if you were to compare non-emergency medical transportation and, and, and the growth of it compared to, let's say, like just traditional rides or people taking ride share for a trip to the, you know, to a bar or to, you know, uh, to the airport, obviously all that stuff has not rebounded nearly. Uh, I mean, it's still way down. Um, so if you if you if you actually looked at the last earnings call from Uber. You know, the rides business, no secret that, that's taken a big hit. But you know Dara had mentioned how the Uber Health business has still continued to grow year over year during this difficult time. So there's still going to be appointments that people have to go to, things like dialysis, uh, some behavioral health appointments still must uh, must happen during this difficult time. So I think to answer your question, the state of non-emergency medical transportation, I think. Um, you know, all things considered, things are doing are are are, are It's a, a great industry, a very essential industry, uh, and transportation will always be critical. And I think it's here uh, to stay. For you know, the 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 benefit will be here for a very long time. Um, and I think, and I hope, more investment will be made uh, by uh, by CMS, by HHS, and, and state regulators to continue to fund that benefit, uh, given the impact it has on on people's lives.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess you kind of answered my, my next question to a degree, but, you know, uh, which was going to be what kind of effect has the pandemic had on demand for non-emergency medical transport? It sounds like um, even though um, regular run-of-the-mill garden variety ride sharing has been negatively impacted, it sounds like um, health, even though utilization is down, that, that, that health-related ride sharing uh, is rebounding to a greater extent. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think, um, um, yeah, as
1: as evidenced by companies like Logisticare and and kind of, you know, you listen to their last earnings call, they talk quite a bit about that rebound that's starting to happen. Um, so I think you know it's still down pre uh, compared to pre COVID levels, but I do think uh, things will stabilize, and um, you know we're we're probably still a good six to twelve months away from. Things getting, you know, somewhat, ba- you know, relatively back to normal uh, during this crazy time. But, and, you know, fingers crossed, you know, we're, we're coming into flu season now um, and, and hopefully things don't spike again. But, um, you know, I'm optimistic that, that, you know, over the next year or so, we'll, we'll be right back to where we were.
0: Sure, sure. And um, what about the funding picture uh, vis-a-vis Medicare, Medicaid, as well as commercial plans? Does that um, continue to make strides? Yeah, I think so.
1: I mean, based on kind of what I saw in the conversations uh, that where where I was sitting, I think uh, more and more of these uh, payers uh, see that, that there is uh, a continued need for non-emergency medical transportation. There's a continued um, uh, uh, ROI on that on that investment. Um, so I think uh, they'll they'll continue to fund these programs. I also think they'll. There's lots of opportunity for, you know, rideshare organizations, especially Uber with the Uber Eats platform uh, to do some really interesting things on uh, working with payers to help with meal and grocery delivery in healthcare. So, you know, I don't think that benefits going anywhere anytime soon. I think more uh, commercial plans will, will, will incorporate it. Medicare Advantage, I think, is a huge growth driver. Right. You look at 20 million people under uh, M.A. plans here in the U.S. currently, and, and those numbers are only going to continue to grow. Uh, you know, I'm sure your audience is, is well versed on the growing trends of our aging population here in this country. Uh, and, and there's gonna be more and more need for these types of, of services. And um, even beyond just getting to medical care, when we look at social determinants of health and getting people access to food, Getting people access to their prescriptions, to social activity, I think you're going to see more and more utilization of these uh, of these services and benefits because uh, because healthcare is way more than just even seeing a doctor, and uh, you know a lot of opportunity to have have impact.
0: Sure, and um, you know since you mentioned uh, you know social determinants um, and uh, as it relates to people getting access to their prescriptions, um, you know what should our pharma listeners um, you know how how can they kind of get get more involved um, in that trend, you know, towards social determinants of health being more integrated in the doctor's workflow. Um, is there, you know, I, I was arguing, you know, last year that every every drug needs to have a, a SDOH strategy. I'm not sure, you know, to what extent, you know, anybody has that yet, but are you seeing that pick up and, and, and regardless what, what should pharma, our pharma listeners kind of be thinking or doing to, to prepare for this wave?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's uh, definitely a lot more that can be done. I think, um, you know, for pharma companies in particular, I think, um, you know, when, we, when you look at things like clinical trials and getting people access to clinical trials, um, you know, obviously, pharma companies invest a lot of money in those trials. I think uh, providing better access to those trials, uh, also understanding what are the uh, social factors, depending on the populations that they're studying, you know, where they live, uh, access to you know, obviously transportation, but also other things like um, social activity uh, to food uh, to the grocery store. You know, all those things play into uh, the potential, even the outcomes from those clinical trials. Uh, so I think um, getting better uh, alignment and understanding of what what are those factors that touch their populations. Um, I also think um, you know looking at ways to provide better access to to drugs uh, and, and better access to um, places where, um, that, 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 really can impact how people, uh, go about, you know, taking their prescriptions and, 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 medication adherence, I think is a, is a, is a significant issue. Um, and I think, uh, even with, you know, the, the new venture I'm working on, as we look to bring more care into the home, can we leverage our platform to really help with it, with patient, uh, medication adherence, um, and i think when you do bring more care into the home you know a lot more about that patient you know a lot more about you know my, as i said earlier you know does the air conditioner work is there running water what does that environmental uh, assessment look like um, and i think pharma companies can do a lot more to get better tu- you know, better in touch with you know those patients that they're trying to serve
0: sure yeah great answer yeah okay um, so uh, last question uh, future challenges you know for the uh NEMT space um, or just you know for um you know the the, the virtual care space, the home care space uh, moving forward
1: yeah I mean I think um yeah I think that's a loaded question. There's there's certainly <laughs> a lot of, a lot uh a lot of room for continued improvement uh and, the, and there's certainly some uh some headwind. I think I think generally speaking, I think the world we live in today, I I, I hope and I believe has really caused us to really rethink how care is delivered. I think even from a regulatory standpoint, uh, CMS recently passed something called ET3, which is a new regulation that essentially allows uh, EMS workers to provide more service in the home to to reduce unnecessary hospital uh, 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 utilization. Uh, And I think there's more and more of a push of providing care into the home. I think in terms of challenges, I think, you know, our healthcare system, uh, you know, God bless it's certainly very complicated. And I think uh, continued uh, development on integration and communication with various stakeholders within our uh, the, the healthcare ecosystem is going to be always a challenge. Uh, I think the way data uh, flows uh, between all the key parties, between the EMR, the payer, the patient, uh, all that access to data, how data is treated, I think that's going to be an area, a hot button. Uh, that'll, you know, th- that's nothing new, I'm sure it's your audience, but that will continue uh, to provide, um, you know, a, a headwind for, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, and the other thing I'd say is, is, um, you know, I think the challenge with a lot of the things that are going on is that they lose, uh, they lose sight of what it's ultimately designed for. And that's for the patient uh, and, and the person that they serve. And I think, um, you know, going back to that, that conversation I had with a big plan recently of saying how they are trying to reduce that human touch to save cost. I think we can't lose sight of that. And I think many organizations are thinking that technology is the only, uh, the best and only answer. And I think it has to be a hybrid. And I, and I I push people uh, within healthcare to make sure uh, we don't just rely on technology as the answer to everything. Um, And, um, you know, we, we got to be mindful in terms of how we build and who we build it for. also building for the lowest common uh, denominator a lot of times, right? Uh, Many people, uh, there's a massive Medicaid population in this country. Uh, A lot of them, English is not their their native language. Uh, They don't have access to smartphones. Uh, They're using simple SMS primarily. Are we building for those uh, those use cases? So I think uh, a lot of work to be done, uh, but I'm optimistic that Hopefully, uh, COVID nineteen uh, has really pushed us to think differently, uh, and will accelerate uh, a lot of growth and 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 better, uh, better products and better, uh, better workflows within healthcare, uh, now and, and in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, great, w- wise words indeed, uh, to you know maintain the humanity, in healthcare as, as we move um, ever so uh, increasingly, toward uh, use of technology. Well. Um, Dan, I want to thank you for joining us again on the podcast. It was great uh, chatting with you.
1: I, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to your audience. Um, and, um, you know, if, if anybody ever wants to uh, to reach out to me, my uh, my new email is just my first name, Dan, at uh, MedArrive, M-E-D-Arrive.com. That's my new uh, my new company. So uh, always happy to hear from folks and, and, and really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark.
0: You got it. You got it. Let's let's do it again soon. Um, Look forward to hearing uh, about your progress. And um, thank you everyone out there for listening. If you like this podcast, uh, certainly give us a like, help others discover the show and subscribe on the platform of your choice. Uh, Well, that'll do it for another episode of the MMM Podcast. Uh, For Dan Trigop, Larry Dobrow, this has been Marcus Good, signing off. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care.